crisis, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, energy security challenges, supply shortages, and soaring inflation continue to disrupt global trade and put economies worldwide under increasing pressure. In this podcast, Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Secretariat Executive Director Rebecca Santamaria explains APEC member economies' efforts to rebuild supply chains and promote more inclusive and resilient trade growth in the face of high uncertainty. The discussion draws upon a recent ADBI feature speaker webinar with Santamaria. Hi, Executive Director Santa Maria. Thank you for joining Asia's Developing Future. To start things off, can you explain how APEC supports regional trade? APEC is a very specific organization focusing on economic cooperation. It is voluntary and non-binding and it operates on consensus. The very fact that it's non-binding makes it possible for a diverse group of economies to cooperate and engage in pragmatic and mutually beneficial policy discussions. It always strikes me that if you're in a very binding environment such as the WTO, there's that tendency to posture and to be very cautious. Whereas because we are non-binding, we can expect that folks are more open and have very candid discussions. And I think that's the value that international organizations like APEC bring to the international trade environment. Isn't it difficult to have open policy discussions when world trade is confronted with greater protectionism? The diversity that we see in APEC is is to some extent challenged in today's environment, but it also means that our continued existence and adherence to the process allows for all of us to meet in good faith. And that's what we've been doing the last, especially this year when it's been extra challenging. The major financial crisis, the China-US trade tensions, COVID-19, plus the war in Ukraine. These are realities that we deal with. And because of that trust element, I think we are able to manage some of the more challenging issues in a more comfortable, non-threatening manner. And that's the value that we bring. APEC's core work is focused on international trade. How does this scale globally? What became very evident during the early days of the pandemic was that it was important for us to keep our supply chains open, keeping trade data flowing, dealing with at the border and behind the border measures. And this will continue throughout our work. Our initiatives at the regional level also feeds into the WTO. At APEC, we've always asserted the importance of the rules-based multilateral trading system with WTO at its core. Our goal is to safeguard a free, fair, open, non-discriminatory, transparent, inclusive, predictable trade and investment environment. We continue to support necessary reforms in the WTO to improve effectiveness of its monitoring, negotiating and dispute settlement functions. The developments in the region, the progress of the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, all ultimately contribute to trade and investment policy at the multilateral level. What is APAC's approach to reviving supply chains? APEC provides the platform to strengthen collaboration on supply chain challenges, including making sure that our supply chains embody strong environmental and labor standards, working to identify bottlenecks and choke points in the supply chains of the different sectors and coming up with initiatives, guidelines, best practice, toolkits to ensure that our SMEs, our businesses have access to some of the best practice in those areas of managing your supply chains. I drew attention to the one on security of supply chains, ensuring resilient supply chains. What can stakeholders in global trade and researchers do to make supply chains more resilient? 
it is up to the businesses to also find that equilibrium, that level of how they want to build a resilience. Maybe you don't want to limit your suppliers. Maybe you want to spread it out and not have that concentration risk. There are other formulations out there on reshoring, onshoring. It is incumbent upon organizations like ABDI of our APEC Policy Support Unit to come up with the data to show us whether these new ideas that the business is attempting in building resilience to their supply chains, whether it's onshoring, reshore, whatever, it makes economic sense. That would really help us as we try to build resilience in our supply chains. Where do governments and APEC cooperation fit in? The role of government in facilitating or dealing with supply chains is really about trade and business facilitation, creating the conducive environment for trade and investment to grow. This means working more intensely on the infrastructure, whether it's the physical infrastructure, the digital infrastructure. It is also imperative to ensure that government works with business to deal with existing non-tariff measures so that whatever regulatory environment that we have is transparent and there is coherence within the region through harmonization. And that's what we try and do in the trade agreements that we have and also in the work that we do in APEC. What more can be done to facilitate SME's participation in global value chains or GVCs? There is much more work being done to enable SMEs to be part of GVCs in this sector, to deepen their stakeholder collaboration, strengthen their sense of ethical business conduct and build networks. Again, I have to emphasize we're not binding. We just build these networks of trust to promote accountability, ensuring business ethics, ensuring international standards are complied with, ensuring transparency. These are built into the work of the APEC. There are also emerging challenges. We remain vulnerable to supply shortages, soaring worldwide inflation protracted war in Ukraine. These are all heightened uncertainties. Of course, we can't forget climate change, which continues its acceleration of extreme weather disasters affecting our region. To what extent can new trade agreements promote SME's inclusion in supply chains? Regardless of where the SMEs are, how do you ensure that they benefit from all the work that's being done in terms of market access, regulatory coherence, trade facilitation? That's the role of government. How do you ensure it's good for governments to sign agreements? How do you ensure that these folks can take full advantage of these agreements, the market access that you've provided, that they, the SMEs or MSMEs can tap into these value chains, supply chains that you have facilitated? Having trade agreements, facilitating regional Economic integration is all well and good, but what are you doing within your economies to ensure that goods can flow? So basic things like ensuring you have physical infrastructure that works for the people. You talk of choke points in a chain, but there are also choke points and roadblocks, physical ones. So you need to address that. You need to ensure that the folks who are in the rural part of your economy can move their products to the ports or to the companies or the factories. Otherwise, all the trade agreements that you put in place, all the market access that you facilitate will come to naught and you won't see any change in your economic situation because you haven't addressed the basics. What about the impact of digital infrastructure development? How much of a game changer can it be for a small business trade? Policymakers are famous for saying, oh, get onto the digital economy, start selling online, go and do e-commerce. But if I don't have broadband access, what are we talking about? So that is things that the government has to pay particular attention to. And international organizations, all we can do is share best practice and provide you case studies. But at the end of the day, this must be done at the domestic level, at the national level. So what further actions are needed to open up the digital economy? 
to invest appropriately in infrastructure, whether it's physical or digital, to invest in education, to prepare your people with the right skills to so that they can then take advantage of all the facilities that you have put in place, all the agreements that you have in place. You need to make sure that you have standards that you must comply with, business ethics that you must comply with. So the issue of labor rights, human rights, all these things have to be put in place. And that's clear role of government. So it's not just about businesses doing it on their own, but the support from governments and international organizations like APEC provide that opportunity for sharing of how it can be done. To wrap up, what is the next step for APEC? For us in APEC, very important to go back to basics. We need more predictability of our rules. We also need flexibility to facilitate goods and services. We need enhanced global and regional cooperation. We need more innovation. And here, innovation, not just in the sense of developing new products and services, but flexibility and adaptability and change. So relooking our policies, our guidelines. We've started this. Let's not stop. Let's continue. Regulatory innovation, distilling best practice, sharing them more widely. We cannot work in silos. We need to have our trade, business, custom, civil society. Because at the end of the day, it's about the well-being of our people. It's about ensuring business continues to grow and to thrive. This has been Asia's Developing Future, brought to you by the Asian Development Bank Institute. For more information about us, visit adbi.org.